0: If you are interested in Angular Architecture. If you value good practices, if you work on large complex projects, we have something special for you. For the second time in history we have started a special program, Angular Architecture, Strategic Design, with NX. This is an extensive video course, combined with live sessions, which has already been joined by over 120 participants. You can find out all the details at angularmaster.dev. The program is time limited, so don't wait, be sure to check out now what we have prepared for you. Visit angularmaster.dev website and see you on the other side of the screen.
1: What's up everyone, this is Dariusz Kalbarczyk, co-founder of MG Poland, JS Poland, anglamaster.dev and workshopfest.dev. Welcome back to the Angla Master Podcast. Today, together with Manfred Steyer, who is an excellent speaker, trainer, consultant and author with Focus on Angular. we will talk about microfrontends and standalone components. Hi, Manfred, how are you?
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. So thanks for having me again.
1: We will start straight away with the most difficult question. You are doing quite a lot with micro frontends. However, there is a rumor that micro frontends are bad for UX and bundle sizes. Why is that?
0: Hmm. Yeah, so actually, this is quite a critical question for breaking the ice at the beginning. But it's also an important question, if you ask me, because it's somehow true. I mean, in general, there is not a thing as a good or a bad architecture. There are several possible architectures and some fit more for your current needs and some fit less for your current needs. That means, in general, you need to know your architectural goals and then you can evaluate them against several options. And if you say, well, there might be a downside in terms of UX and bundle sizes, yeah, that might be. But not always. UX and bundle sizes are the most important goals. If we talk about a business application that is mainly used in the intranet, or via a broadband internet, then bundle sizes might not be the most important criteria. Exactly. Obviously, if you want to sell something, if you implement the next Amazon, bundle sizes is really a huge critical, and important yeah. topic. And the same is for UX. So if we imagine a huge business application, then you might have several business domains. Like I always bring the example with accounting and cost calculation. And in huge companies, uh, different people work with cost calculations and different people work with accounting. So it does not really matter if the button is here slightly different than there. So it it always depends, but it might not be your first goal, your most important goal. Uh, Saying this, there are for sure other Uh, situations where you need a consistent UX and UI where consistency is king. So it it always depends. And the good message is also if you really need to have small bundle sizes and a consistent UX, consistent UI, there are even some solutions for micro frontends. It's challenging, yeah, but there are some solutions you could follow.
1: I see. But if we decide to do so, how to deal with these problems?
0: Mm. So let's say you want to go with micro frontends and you need a consistent UX UI and you need to take care of bundle sizes. For the first uh, matter, you could go with a common design system. A lot of my customers are doing this. They are agreeing on a design system they are sharing. Of course, you should not share too much stuff when going with micro frontends because micro frontends are all about decoupling things. And if you share something, you are coupling yourself to this shared part. But yeah, uh, going with a shared design system could be a good compromise. That's the first thing. And when it comes to bundle sizes, there is something like module federation that allows you to share dependencies at runtime. That means you only need to load Angular once, and you can share it across several separately deployed and compiled microfrontends. All of them will pick up the same uh, instance or the same version of Angular. However, naturally, if we talk about sharing dependencies, we also need to talk about version conflicts because if we have bad luck, we will get one micro frontend that is using this version of a library and another micro frontend that is using another version of the same library. And this is for sure a hit on the bundle size. And besides this, you might end up with conflicts in the browser, uh, which is a location that is not that great for debugging version conflicts. You don't want to debug version conflicts in my browser or in the user's browser. Um, the good message is module federation comes with several strategies for dealing with version conflicts. Plus, if you restrict yourself, if you put everything into a mono repository, and this is also what the Angular team is suggesting, then you cannot have that easily a version conflicts because if all the microfrontends come out of one monorepo, then you go with just uh, one version. Just make sure you deploy everything that has been changed, that has been affected by a change in a shared library, and you should be good.
1: I have to ask this question. Does it really make sense to use module federation in monorepo?
0: Yeah, good question. So at first glance, I am with you. At first glance, this seems to be a contradiction in itself somehow, but uh, it can really make sense because even though you have a monorepo, you can deploy separately if you need it. Saying this... Quite often you don't need a separate deployment in the front end because front end stuff can be quite easily be deployed once and again. It's just about an copy, copying files over. It's a different solution with backend code, where you need to have migration scripts for your database and so on. But if you really need to deploy stuff separately. It even works with a monorepo, because in the monorepo, you can have several applications. And as mentioned before, as long as you deploy everything that has been changed or affected by a change in a shared library, you should be fine. No version conflicts anymore. And besides this, you get another huge improvement. And this is really a cool story, namely an improvement in terms of Build times, because if you have micro front ends, you slice a huge application in several tiny ones. And that means you only need to recompile the changed slices. And this really gives you a huge improvement for build times. And honestly, uh, build times is really an issue for huge projects, especially in the front A lot of people are fighting with their build times And we really gained good results with this approach. Monorepo slices and only compiling what changed. For this, you might use something like the NX build cache. If you don't know NX, look it up. It's really a nice tool set that is great for monorepos and it comes with a cache. That means you don't need to compile anything twice if it did not change so far. Just a little example, Um, I was with a customer, it was about two months ago, it's a well-known company, I'm even allowed to tell you the name, which is not that often the case, but here I'm allowed to tell you the name, it was Cube Bikes, they are the market leader for mountain bikes, Okay. and they sit in Germany, in the north of Bavaria. And they had issues with the build times. And we did exactly what I told you before. And together with an axe and micro front ends, with module federation, we managed to cut the build times to a fourth, which is really nice wow. to a fort. And if we would investigate a bit more time, if we would slice it into tinier slices, then we could even improve it further. But that was not necessary.
1: Continuing the tone of the previous question. Are there technical reasons for introducing module federation?
0: Yeah, that's a very good question. So in general, I'm always saying module federation and also micro are not there for technical reasons. They are mostly there for organizational reasons. The idea is to subdivide a huge product into tiny pieces so that small agile teams can work on them. Without interfering with other teams, because you know the more people you have on a team, the slower everything becomes. If you have a team with, let's say, fifty people, then you are slowing everything down. And so the idea is really to subdivide your project and subdivide your team into teams that can work in an hierarchical way. This is the basic idea behind micro frontends, at least. When we talk about module federation, however, a technical reason for doing this could be to cut down build times, as mentioned before. Perhaps in this case, it's not even for you about deploying everything separately. Perhaps you want to deploy everything together, but because you slice it into pieces, you can grammatically improve your build times. As mentioned, you only need to recompile what changed.
1: It is very interesting what you said. Let us go one step further. What are misconceptions you see in the area of micro frontends?
0: Yeah, so I really see several misconceptions. The thing is, I'm really an advocate for micro frontends. I'm helping my customers for years with micro frontends. I think when I started with this topic, there was not even the term microfoundents coined, and uh, I'm doing this out of business needs. You need you know huge teams. Somehow you need to cut everything into tiny pieces. However, even though I'm an advocate for micro frontends, I've also advised lots of companies against using them because they need to fit to your needs. If you just go with them because it's a modern approach because you uh, read an article about them, then you might get more drawbacks than advantages. As mentioned in the beginning, it's always about your architectural goals. You need to evaluate them against different options, against architecture candidates, as they call it, and then you go with the architecture candidate that brings the most advantages and uh, the uh, little disadvantages. And so, knowing your architectural goals, knowing how important build times are for you, knowing how important bundle sizes are for you, is really something you need to get started with. Another thing you need to know is if you can even subdivide your application into tiny pieces. For instance, I had this project where we dealt with a process designer. It was a process designer for business processes, really a great project. And it allows you to simulate processes in your company. It even allowed you to simulate costs, costs that are associated with process steps. So cost calculation for processes, really a nice project. However... We were not capable of slicing it into microfrontends, because everything was connected to this process designer, to this graphically BPN designer. And so in this case, we needed to rule out microfrontends. We needed to go with other approaches. And perhaps a third misconception is you need to have some low-level JavaScript knowledge. If you only know Angular and if you don't know the layers below Angular, like Vanilla.js or the ECMAScript ecosystem, then it might be difficult because sometimes you need this or that hack or this or that low-level trick to make everything work.
1: Okay, Uh, so let's talk about standalone components now. Mm -hmm. How does the mental model behind the standalone components work?
0: Yeah, so the mental model is just that we get a component with its very own NG module. In the future, those standalone components will work without NG modules. That means we can get completely rid of them and that's why the Mandel model is we can think of such standalone components as of components with its very own or their very own ng modules. It's not implemented that way, but we can think of them that way. And if you are now wondering how does this fit with micro frontends and module federation, where we normally loaded a whole ng module in the past because a module or a micro front-end is something that's more coarse-grained than a component, and also than a standalone component, then the answer is, in the future, we can load whole routing configurations via module federation. In future, the router will just point to different routing configurations without any NG module in between, and so we can use module federation to load this or that routing configuration lazily, a routing configuration containing, let's say, five or ten components belonging together, forming a microfront.
1: How to improve your architecture without NG modules?
0: Yeah, that's, that's also a nice question, because at first glance, also this seems to be a contradiction in itself, because NG modules group elements, Architecture is all about grouping and organizing stuff. And suddenly, we don't have ng-modules anymore. So how can we group stuff together without ng-modules? And there are several approaches. One approach is to just go with folders. Just use your folder structure to group your stuff together. Another approach, and this brings me back to something we've discussed before, is to go with a monorepo, perhaps with an axe. Because such monorepos allow you to subdivide a huge application into libraries. And if you ask me, a library, an internal and monorepo internal library, is really the pattern alternative for ng-modules. Why is it a good or the pattern alternative? Well, it's grouped stuff together. And it provides information hiding. That means we can define what's visible outside of the library and what's only visible inside of the library. Everything that is not visible outside of the library is our implementation detail. We can change it. We can throw it away. We can reimplement it. Uh, It does not matter because those changes won't break stuff that's out there in other libraries. However, everything we are exposing via the boundaries of such libraries uh, should be somehow backwards compatible. Otherwise, we will break other parts of our system. So this is one advantage of just going with libraries. Another advantage is in an X, you can define access restrictions. You can prevent that each library is accessing each other libraries, which will lead to a mess where Changing something here breaks everything. And it's more lightweight because at the end of the day, a library in your monorepo is just another folder structure. So it's more lightweight and you have more advantages in terms of grouping stuff and hiding stuff.
1: Sounds great. So how to prepare for uh, ng Model less world, and how yeah. to migrate existing projects?
0: So the good message is you don't need to prepare. If you are fine with your current code base, if you are fine with NG modules, you can stick with it because standalone components are compatible in both directions. You can import standalone components into existing modules, and you can import existing modules into standalone components. And that's really a great thing. Because thanks to this, we can reuse the whole ecosystem, even though we have this major change that comes with standalone components. This really shows that the Angular team keeps up with its promises to not break stuff, but to give us a nice migration strategy. So you don't need to migrate. But if you want to migrate you can just throw away your ng-modules. And then perhaps you need to update your components a bit so that they have all the metadata they got out of the modules when there have been traditional components. Or you could migrate to an NX workspace. Honestly, you could already use NX nowadays with modules. Then you have both modules and libraries. And if you want to go all in with standalone components, just throw away your modules and you should be fine just with sticking with your libraries.
1: How to use standalone components with existing code and Angular libraries?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so because of this Mandel model, we can really import standalone components into existing modules. And on the other side, we can import existing modules into standalone components. And so we can reuse everything that's already there in terms of existing code, in terms of existing libraries. There is even a bridging function that allows you to take out providers of an existing NG module and put it into your provider configuration you have than going with standalone components. When going with standalone components, you directly bootstrap one component. You don't need any app module anymore, no app module with a bootstrap array. And when doing this, you can define global providers. And it's really possible to take them out of existing modules with those bridging function. Saying this, obviously... You are more on the safe side. Let's don't call it safe side, but it would be even more straightforward if you start with using provided in root for providing global services. This fits better to the world of standalone components, if you ask.
1: I know you like microfrontends. What are your wishes for the future of microfrontends? How you see the future?
0: hmm Yeah, good point. So, I guess we will get some more high-level libraries for common use cases. Plus, um, I think one of the drawbacks we have currently with micro is because we are going with single-page applications. Don't misunderstand me. I really love single-page applications. However, If we go with single page applications, we need to download everything into the browser. And if we need to download several libraries or several frameworks, this is a hit on the bundle size. Plus, we might end up with version conflicts in the browser, as mentioned before. And this is one huge difference to traditional microservices. If we talk about a microservice that runs behind an URL, I'm not interested into the version or technology it is running on. You can even use native C code to implement this RESTful API. I'm not interested into it because I'm just working with my URL. And hopefully it gives me the right JSON payload or the right HTTP result. Most of the times it contains JSON nowadays. We don't need to download anything. It's a huge difference. So we don't have that much issues with version conflicts and bundle sizes when we talk about server-side microservices. However, if you look into current trends of single-page application, there is the trend of downloading just a little piece and of downloading the rest on demand, uh, this game of, hydration and rehydration, where in the best case, you just get a static HTML file, then uh, loading your application, and then the rest is hydrated or downloaded, lazy loaded on demand. And if this once really works nicely, then this might improve how we work with micro frontends, because then we could just use hyperlinks to point to another very tiny HTML file, let's say 50 Ks, and that means we can quickly load it. We don't lose any advantages of single page applications because it's quickly loaded and the rest is downloaded on demand. So this might be one improvement for subdividing everything into tiny frontends. And there are already several examples out there. If you think on Remix, if you think on Quick, if you think on other inventions, for instance, in the React community. Also, the Angular team is investigating how to improve uh, server-side rendering, how to bring it to this next level where we go with partial hydration and rehydration.
1: Manfred, thank you for recording another episode of our podcast. It was a pleasure to meeting you today. Same,
0: bias, Thanks for having me.
1: And to our listeners, I invite you to subscribe, comment, and like Angela Master Podcast. See you soon.